that you've invested much in him. For this, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask, Lord, as he seeks to minister the word of God this morning, that it would be just that, the ministry of the word. We pray that you deliver us from man's opinions. You deliver us from that which is of us. And that you will bring through to us that which is of the spirit of God. Lord, we need to hear your voice in these days. We pray for an anointing upon our brothers speaking and upon all our hearing. And that you would indeed shut us in to yourself as we hear your word. We pray that this message would find its way in our lives. And that out of this time, something would go into eternity with us. We ask these things, Father, to your praise and glory alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. One. Is it okay? Can you hear me? It is on. Is it, is it okay? Yeah, it's on. Try Praise it. the Lord. Is it okay? Good. <coughs> Morning, everyone. Morning. May the Lord bless you. Continue to bless us as we worship Him. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we bless you as we humble ourselves under your mighty hands. We exalt you, Lord, in your household. Yes. Be thou glorified. Amen. Be thou our vision. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Um, in the world, but not of the world, is the topic in the world, but not of the world. I remember many years ago, a brother called me, and uh, he said to me, Brother Guy, uh, can, you, can you remind me that verse again? Because it's very popular. The verse that say, we are in the world, but not of the world. Well, I had an idea, and I went in John 15, and look, and look, and I said, you're trapping me. It's not a verse, a Bible verse is an idea, is an understanding of what the Lord said in John 15. So it's not literally a Bible verse, but it's taken from that context. In the world, but not of the world. We will be a little bit by the grace of God. You will find the reading a bit too historical. It is historical. It's in the Bible. We are allowed to read it and talk about it. If you want to turn to Act 27, please. Act 27. And we will read that until we feel like stopping. Act 27. <clears throat> And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment, 
So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, the Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Verse 3. And the next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friend and receive care. When we had put to sea, from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the wind were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is of Sicilia, Cilicia, and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Verse 6. There a centurion, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty of nighters, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, of Salmoni. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lazia. Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because, of, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Man, I perceive, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our life. Verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. Verse 13. When the south wind blew, softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous head wind arose called Eurocleden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Cloda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cable to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the thirty sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempestuous, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat, beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, 
for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the sheep. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God had granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took sounding and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Amen. Bear with me. I'm trying to recover because uh, it's, a, it's a long reading, but it's very... I'm sure you know already where we're going. You've read this before. You know already. You've already compared what Paul was saying with what the sailors were saying. And you know where we're going. That's exactly where we're going. This is the second book. Luke, the physician, wrote. Well, let me stick to my note first. Luke is the author of this book. After chapter 20, the rest of this book is mostly historical, not directly showing the link to the Christian doctrine or redemptive work of salvation. It seems to put a greater emphasis on providing detailed insight of people and places. For example, we have the context of events taking place in connection with the world history. You see the name of the governors, the procurators, the places. These are real stories, real names, real people, real places. This is not fiction. Okay, you can go, you can find these places. Um, I remember one day speaking somewhere and afterwards, someone from the congregation coming from me and say, oh, do you know that place? There is now a pub. I say, I don't know. I've never been there. I've just been researching. So these are real places. The Bible is not fiction. They are real places, real people. These governors, these Felix, Festus, Agrippa, these are real people. The Bible does not pretend. In fact, I think it's Peter who said, our testimony was not based on cunningly devised fables, no. But on genuine things, eyewitness accounts. There is a purpose in the book of Acts. The Lord is so good that he had raised someone like 
Luke, Dr. Luke, top researcher, where anyone can dispute whatever they want to dispute. But when it comes to the book of Luke, every serious scholar must recognize that this is high-level scholarship from Brother Luke. You know your Bible, you know how he introduced the book of Luke. How he introduced. What was the purpose of him writing the first book? So that you may recognize the accuracy. Why don't we read that together? Luke chapter 1. Turn to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, read from verse 1. <clears throat> Luke 1 verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hands to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Why? that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. That you may know the certainty. The Christian faith is not magic. It's not witchcraft. It's not superstition. What Luke is doing here is challenging anyone. He is conducting a very unbiased, independent piece of work, high-level research that you may recognize the certainty of the things you were instructed in. We received Christ. We did not know that much about the Bible. When he knocked our door, at the door of our heart, we received him in faith because things made sense, but things need to make even more sense now as we're progressing in this journey. The Bible is under attack. I've heard even believers start doubting the Bible. Have they read this? On which basis? if not because of the, the contrary wind that is coming from the world, the attack from unbelievers is now shaking the foundation of some believers. But Luke said, yes, you were instructed, that's good, but I've written this so that you gain certainty in the things you were instructed in. That is the man who wrote again the book of Acts. And as you go through the book, you find the expression, we. We did this, we did that, because he was part of it. Paul's companion, as said, as mentioned in the book of Philemon as well, 
There is a list of Paul's friends. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke is amongst them. This is an independent piece of research. So you see, in the book of Acts, the precision Luke is giving, the places, the names of places, you, you feel like you were there. That for one purpose, that you recognize the certainty of these things. Now, <clears throat> the content of the book of Acts clearly focuses on the beginnings of the church. I used to call um, Acts from verse 13 to 28 the act of Paul. And one day, I say the act of Paul, and people were saying, this man is heretical. What he's talking about. Two prominent figures, characters in the book of Acts. From chapter 1 to 12, Peter. From 13 onward, Paul. When you think of the life of Paul, when you read his writing, you are happy to be a believer. You recognize the certainty of the things he's writing. Very practical, very sober, humble man, lover of Jesus Christ. He was a scholar as well, despised all those things because of the excellency of the goal that was known. When you read those people, you feel like you are in the right place. The major, the major areas of history covered in the book of Acts is the establishment and progress of the church, the preaching of the gospel because Christ gave the commission, he commissioned his disciples to bring the word to the entire world. And in the book of Acts, you can see that happening. Some people have called that the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You can see the Holy Spirit at work. You can see people being saved, people being healed, even people touching serpent but not be poisoned. You can see that. People laying hand on the sick. Being, everything Jesus has said is in the book of Acts. But I found interesting the fact that in the book of Acts you find what I see as the best definition of the church in Acts chapter 2. Don't turn to it. What does it say? There is a list that is given to us. Those who gladly, gladly receive the word of God, gladly were baptized. Logical consequence. Receive the word of God gladly Believe in Christ, the next step is being baptized. I know there are a lot of controversy and discussion. Are we saved by baptism? That's not the purpose of what I'm saying here. What I'm saying, a normal Christian must be baptized after receiving Christ. It is in the Bible. And then those people were together. And those people, they had a very, very good Testimony, not approval, not approval of the world, but testimony. They were not approved, 
but there was a good testimony. There was something of Christ when people looked at them. There was something different, not approved, but a good witness was given about them. And what happened then? I'm in Acts 2, verse 47. The Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the definition of the church. The household of God, people of God, special people, chosen people, holy nation, his own special people of God, made special by his blood to those who receive him, to those who believe in him, he has given to them exousia, privilege, jurisdiction, rights, power to become children of God. That is the church. The church is not a corporation of crooks, greedy people after after money. Let me tell you a story. A man went to see a pastor with his grown-up son. And he said, this, my son, has left formal education. Completely unable. I've sent him to learn by doing some mechanical skills. He's failed. Doesn't want to do anything. My last decision was to bring him to a priest so that they can teach him to serve in a Catholic church. He failed. He's failed everywhere. I have only one option left, is to make him a pastor. Can you do that? <laughs> Does that speak to you? Pastor, someone who has failed everything, unable to do nothing, anything. Can you make him a pastor? It's the only option left. Well, if he's made a pastor, what do you think he's going to produce? I leave that with you. The audience of the book, the book is written to a certain Theophilus. Theophilus, there are some interpretations, but it all comes to one thing. He represented represent all the lovers of God. Theos, God. Philos, friends. Friends of God. That's what it is. But most likely it was an authority. A real person who has commissioned Luke to research because those authorities, the Romans, they were keen to understand Christianity as it was spreading to understand what it was. Why am I saying that? Just because Luke is referring to him as excellent. So by all standards, this was a very serious piece of work. 
Let me start, let me start skipping things now. <clears throat> we will come back to the main text. Turn with me to Acts 26. Acts 26. Acts 26. And let's read from verse 17 to 18. Acts 26, 17 to 18. This is the Apostle Paul giving his testimony of how the Lord met him. The Lord told him, verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I, say, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the summary of Paul's ministry. When you read Paul, his writings, this is the purpose of the writings. For the Lord to deliver people, to turn people from the power of darkness to God's light, from Satan to God, for people to obtain the forgiveness of sins, and enter in the heritage, inherit the kingdom of God with those who are already sanctified by God. That's the purpose of the book. Let me spend a minute on this. Open the eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Well, friends, people are in darkness. Christ is the light of the world. People are seriously in darkness. These are very serious stuff. Sometimes we think that, why are people behaving like this? Why are people putting themselves in a place where they think God cannot reach them? <laughs> An old lady used to tell me, some people think they are impenetrable by God. But God can reach everybody. The church is in the hand of God to fulfill that purpose. Through what the church does, the preaching of the word of God, intercession for nations, intercession for family members. Can I stop that again? Family members. There is always a problem with family members. If you are the only person saved in your family, get a lot of oppositions and sometimes you think like uh, you are not concerned about their souls because of their reaction or they won't just accept what you're saying. That's true. That may be true. But you can pray. You can pray for them. And you can behave in a way that is a testimony to them. You can behave in a way that challenges them. You can do that. And God who saved Paul, who is all-powerful, is in the business of saving people. Think about yourself if you think it's impossible for that one. Think about yourself. Have you noticed that Luke and Paul, they're not just talking about ministry. They're talking about being ministers and witnesses. It's not just the service. 
just the service, just doing things. It's about witnessing as well through our lives, through what Christ have done in our, has done in our lives. The Apostle Paul, every time he had an occasion to stand in front of an authority, the starting point was to give his testimony. Do you give your testimony, brethren? Do people know your testimonies? I've asked quite a few people here to write their testimony, provided it's no more than two A4 page, and I will publish it, because I'm interested in testimonies. I'm so blessed when I hear how people came to Christ. And you can see the way God is working different in people. Like maybe your testimony may be a means to save someone else who is going through the same situation. I was saved after losing my parents. It was so difficult. I don't intend to say it here. If you want, you can read on my website or I can give it. I have a copy, but it's in French. Yeah, there's, a, there's an English copy as well. Testify what Christ has done for you. We can't all do everything, but we can say what Christ has done in our lives. We can, with certainty. Some of us know even the hour they were saved. 11 o'clock on the 5th of April, 1993. That's me. Paul testifies. Always. He's not ashamed. The service and the witness going together. One day, Tony Pierce asked me to write my testimony. And I wrote my testimony, which was published in his book, in his uh, magazine. And we distribute in the world. I was sending the French version in Burundi, in Africa. And my email was on the back, his email and mine. And we received an email from someone saying, that is true, I was in the room that day. That was a blessing to me. Wow, how many years? I was in the room, there were 500 people that day. I was the only one we saved on that day, being called at the front, kneeling down, crying over my sins, while people were singing. And the teacher said, it is his day. Stand up and pray for him. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit there. I was speaking in tongues then, crying and crying and there. And someone wrote from Burundi to Tony Peace and said, I was there. I know that is true. Please share your testimony. It will bless someone somewhere. Let's go back to our text. Pick up a few verses from it and see what we get from it, out of it. Mm. From verse 1 to verse 8, there is a usual decision to sail to Italy, which is made based on the knowledge and expertise of the usual users of the sea. Decision is taken, okay, we're going to sail to Italy, we have the helmsman, those are the pilot, the captain, you have the sailors, you have the owner of the ship in business, he's desperate to get his trade going on, and the, 
those are experts. They know the sea. They've been doing that for ages. Okay, okay, let's go. Bon voyage. They start sailing. Everything goes well. There is just a little wind, just a little wind. The Bible refers to that as a contrary, a wind that is contrary. That's fine. It's going to calm down. It's just a wind. Then the sailing becomes dangerous. So we go, we move from contrary wind to dangerous things is happening. Paul perceives, I like the word perception. Paul perceives that man, this is very dangerous. We shouldn't. Remember, do you know where they are at that time? They are around a place called, seems to be a very good holiday place, Fair Havens. Actually, Havens means a place of security and peace. That's where they are. And in terms of navigation, it's also a place where, you know, sheep can wait when the time is not good. They can wait. And Paul is saying, it's going to be very dangerous. And they say, no. Based on their own expertise, their human knowledge of navigation of the sea, they say, no, we have to go. Paul said, no, don't. They say, we have to. They are around that island, Crete. Well, moving from Crete to Malta in the Adriatic Sea, that is 2,500 miles in that weather. They say, we have to go. We've been waiting for so long. We're out of patience. We have to move on. Go, go, go. Well, the centurion chooses to listen to the sea experts for obvious reasons, because the captain, they know. They know the things. Paul's warning is ignored, despite the fact that it was already known that the navigation at that time, which is after September, is becoming very dangerous, because it says it was after the fast. The fast was over. So that means we are towards the end of uh, September, we're moving to October, it's becoming dangerous. So the option is, either we stay here, it's going to take very, very long, but we're going to save things. And people say we go. You can only imagine. Traders, the captain who was at work, the owner of the ship was in business. He calculated his loss. So we have to go. Let's do something. We'll go slowly. But they've been there in that trip for a very, very, very long time. I think from, it's about 4,000 miles from Caesarea, where Paul was coming to there. Long journey. The decision here in this context, the decision was based on illusion and false hope. False hope. This world is offering false hope. Religion is offering false 
hope to people. And religion will be the number one cause for people going to hell. Including some form of Christianity. People are so comfortable. But those are man-made. Cunningly devised philosophy. Paul said we should not be cheated. Deceived. By philosophy. By traditions of man. Check out yourself. If Christ is true, check out yourself. Who died for people? Who? People would rather have authority, would rather have people dying for them. But not a king dying for people, an innocent person dying for people. That's how God demonstrated his love towards us. Well, the cross is not just a demonstration of God's love, it's also a demonstration of the depth, the level of our wickedness how bad and desperately wicked we are. Where the same people who had been eating bread, they had their dead raised, they had the sick healed, those are the people crying there and shouting, crucify him, choosing Barabbas and saying, let his blood be over us. Wow. Don't underestimate what human being can do. The hatred towards God the widespread blasphemy. It's something very serious. Well, sometimes we think, may God, can God just do something so that people will know and come back to him? Mm. In the book of Revelation, a successive episodes of judgment are falling, including very, very unbearable heat. Water changing into blood. Famine. Pestilences. Do you know the reaction? People do not repent and they blaspheme all the more, even more. Don't think by God bringing a judgment now it will change anything. It won't. We need to pray for God's mercy that people will come to that place of realization. The time for judgment will come. God knows the timing. It will come. Friends, people are so opposed to God. Fortress. But that's what Paul is saying. People are in darkness. They need to turn to the marvelous light of Christ. People are bound by the devil. Is the church work mission to pray and do something about that. I'm asking you to think about Paul's steadiness. Steadiness. Undisturbed man. The Lord God to, in whom I believe, whom I serve, appeared to me and said this. Full stop. No compromise. And when things begin to unfold, he looks at them and says, man, you should have listened to me. When you preach the word of God, be calm, be steady, be immovable, trust God. Even if things begin to go differently, you think like, we don't understand. Trust God. 
Paul said, I believe things will come to pass just as he says. What did he say? I am going to prepare a place for you. After I've done that, I will come back and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will be also. Let your heart be not troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Christ says. Who are we going to believe? People who say there is no God? People who say there is nothing after death? People say Jesus was just an avatar, just one guru, just a philosopher like anyone else? Oh, God. Do you know what Peter told the, the elders at Ephesus? He said, be careful with the church upon which God has established you to feed his flock. The church which God has purchased with his own blood, that's the expression, it doesn't say Jesus. The church that God has purchased with his own blood. The church belongs to God. Let's be careful. Let's take responsibility individually and as a community. The church is not a playground. Paul told Timothy, if I delay, you should know how to conduct yourself in the church, which is the household of God, the ground and the pillar of the truth. is not about where I grew up. It's not about what I've been doing. It's about learning the ways of God. The church, the Bible is not a culture. In fact, it's transcultural. We're not learning a culture. We're learning the Bible. Everyone playing by the same rules. We know from the history of the church, engagement, marriage, we've learned from the elders, we've seen our forefathers doing that, and we're entering in their labors, and we're learning from them, and we're moving from that. There's no such thing as, put that aside. <laughs> Boyfriends. Leave that for now. But no longer after a tempestuous head wind arose, Eurocledon, Eurocledon. No mercy, hurricane, disaster, complete despair now. What does the Bible say? All hope to be saved, we gave up. Where is the expertise of the helmsman? The sailors, nothing. Hope is gone. They can't even eat 14 days without eating. Would have been better if they had listened what God has revealed to his servants. Servant of God, be steady. Declare and preach what the Lord is asking to preach. Can be bitter, but is healthy. I remember a group of young people in America, they decide to leave churches. It was a great movement because they realized that they were not getting what they thought they would get. 
In fact, they were becoming very desperate with the word, and they came in the church because they had taken decision to change for God. And as they get in the church, sometimes the sermon will stop, and they will put a screen, and people will be watching the NBA basketball. And those young people say, is this the church? And they were leaving churches. It's bitter, but it's healthy when the word of God, the full counsel of God is released. Might be not good now, but when you think that's what I need, not what I want. Well, everything became dark. No sun, no stars. No moon, everything is start. The sailors start praying now, praying for the day. Do you know what they do? I'm towards verse 29. They drop four anchors, and they prayed for the day. You know the answer about this? How many anchors do you have? How many? Anyone know the answer? How many? One. One. Jesus. Jesus is our anchor. He's our security. We should not be moved because of him. One anchor. We also pray for the day. The day of the Lord. Christ. One anchor. We do not have so many. No. Remember? When other helpers and comfort flee. Help of the helpless abide with even died. Christ. Cling on to Christ. It's tough. I'm not pretending. I'm not here to tell you that it's a, it's a joke. No, it's tough. I can tell you it's tough. For everyone. But the Bible says, do not look at that as a strange thing for your brethren across the world are going through the same. Run. The race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look to Jesus. If you take your eyes off Jesus, like Peter, you start sinking. Yes, it's tough. Yes, we are subject to decay, weaknesses. We work very hard. Lot of hardship. Though our outward man is being destroyed, our inner man is being renewed daily, daily, daily. I remember my, my, my good friend in Sacramento, in California. I think she's now maybe 68, I don't know. She told me, Gee, I look forward to that new body. I'm so ill. Look to Jesus, whatever happens. Gonna head towards the end. We live in a world where people are tossed, tempest tossed. People don't know. Money is no longer enough. Everyone has problems. The Bible prophesies, says, predicts, prophesies that in the latter days. There will be perilous time. That's a big word. Perilous time. People will be perplexed. Perplexed.
perplexity is a big word. What is happening, is happening. I've been told that the, the number one health problem in Canada is mental problem. Why? Why mental problem? People have so many problems. Broken families. Unemployed. So many, many, many problems. Some of those problems, we used just to pray for people. Believers used to go in hospital and pray for people. Now they can no longer. Doctors are being trapped by sick people. You are a believer, pray for me. The minute you do it, out. It's published. Very, very difficult. Because the devil wants to keep people under bondage like that. Now, The Bible says, as they were approaching some land, they took soundings. They took soundings. They test if they are approaching some ground or some rock in order to avoid them. They test. And the Bible says the first one was 120 feet. That's 20 fathoms. And then after moving a while, 15 fathoms, so they were moving, they were taking sounds, which brought some hopes to them. Let's conclude with these questions. Few questions. Are we taking the sounding? Do we discern that the Lord is coming? Are we discerning that we are approaching some land? the city of God. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to churches. The Spirit is talking. It is time to cling on. The Bible says those who have that hope in them purifies themselves. Waiting Jesus Christ should have a purifying effect on the way we conduct ourselves. The church of God is not a playground. We can't be in the church and say that's how have been. We have to produce fruits, to show fruits that our lives have indeed changed. Sometimes I feel that challenge within myself when the church in Thessalonica was really suffering under persecution. Paul was certainly praying for the church. He was teaching them. They had the scripture. But suffering was so much that the Lord, that Paul, had really to knock to the heavenly doors and say, Lord, you know, help these people. And one day he came back to them and said, this I have received from the Lord. That is special word from them. I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have slept. 
if you believe that Christ rose again, you must believe that he will come back again. He will raise up those who have died in him for the Lord himself. At the sound, well, let me give Mark a treat in French here. Car le Seigneur lui-même a un signal donné à la voix d'un archange et au son de la trompette de Dieu descendra du ciel. The Lord himself, at the sound, at the voice of an archangel, at the trumpet of God, will come himself. And the dead in Christ will rise. And we who await him together will be caught up. What does it say? He said to them, comfort one another. What a blessing for people who were being killed for their testimony, persecuted, and God provided a world of life to them. And then sometimes I feel that challenge. Will I hear that trumpet? What would be the sound, Lord? How would that be? Hear what the Spirit is telling the, the church. Lord, that sound, that voice of the archangel, that trumpet of God that will sound, and people will be called, how would that be, Lord? Would I hear it? Taking the sounding, sounding. Hear what the Spirit is telling the church. May God bless you. Amen.